This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. From Monaco to Indianapolis, Le Mans to Daytona, and everywhere in between. This is your one-stop shop for provocative motorsport talk. From the ITA Podcast Network, this is the Into the Paddock Podcast. Into the Paddock Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Into the Paddock podcast. My name is Jordan Groves and I am joined this week by Mr. Greg Meisler. Hello, Greg. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. How's it going? I mean, it's it's going. It's going. Right? Yeah. Good. It never stops. It never stops. Oh, God. <laughs> That's existential. Um, also, also joining us for this existential nightmare of a motorsport podcast is Mr. JD Daniel. Hello, JD. Howdy, howdy. Yeah, sounds like everyone has a nice case of the Mondays. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <sighs> it's awful. It's not as if we even had that much motorsport to talk about this weekend either, because literally the only motorsport we have was NASCAR at Talladega. Um, it, it, it kind of feels like we, we're getting to that horrible point of the year where everything's slowly starting to end and everything's just dwindling away. And, and I'm it's sad. like the slow heat death of the universe, you know. I I have all the racing calendars on my desk, and as I'm crossing them off, there's only like one or two left. I am feeling this seasonal depression kick in of there won't be any more racing until January. But I'll try to savor all these last few races as much as I can. It's so, I mean, it's so sad. <laughs> it, it's the way it happens every year, mm. right? Like you just you get to the end of it. Luckily motorsport season goes from january to fucking damn near december mm. right so we don't have that much time off just a few weeks and then we're back talking about the roar and then daytona and you know then the start of indycar season it kind of slowly starts but but yeah it, it when it gets to the end of the year you're just like oh, what am i gonna do i hate football yeah, we're coming off that sugar high because like every week we had three, four, five series racing at once, and now it's like okay, we're starting to start to wean you off of that. Like, no, give me, give me the dopamine hits. Yeah, back. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a nicotine patch, you know, trying to just slowly <laughs> kick you off the habit. Ugh. Well, but, we're gonna try something in this show that's gonna be kind of reminiscent of what the show is gonna be like once we hit um, postseason. Uh, so the second half of the show is going to be a little bit of like a discussion-based topic that kind of leads on from something we spoke about last episode. But before that, we do have some motorsport news to discuss um, from F1 and Formula E. But before that, the only racing action, Talladega. Um, the second round of the round of 12 of the NASCAR playoffs 
Um, Arakel Morola would claim pole position, leading a lockout of the front row few position uh, the front few posi- positions on the field by Ford. Um, an organised first stage would see the field remain two by two for the vast duration. A little bit sketchy, but the stage almost went caution free until the final lap, when Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s car appeared to run out of fuel or at least stumble. Uh, catching Kyle Busch and Ross Chastain unawares, leading to Chastain getting into the wall and subsequently retiring from the race. Ryan Blaney would win the stage under caution. Um, another relatively calm stage would follow in stage two, with the field looking more content to kind of ride around and not cause too much trouble. Um, a last lap charge from Brad Kozlowski would see the RFK driver pass William Byron to take the stage win, with a fire on pit road moments afterwards being kind of the most dramatic moment of this part of the race when Ty Gibbs dragged his uh, gas can out onto the pit road. Um, the field managed to avoid a big one with just over 30 to go in the final stage with Chris Busher taking the field four wide for almost a whole lap in what was an interesting decision uh, but the first big wreck would come a few laps later courtesy of his teammate with um, Brad Kozlowski driving through Carson Hosevar and turning him around in the mid-pack sending Ty Gibbs down into Ty Austin Dillon and uh, hooking both right up into uh, right up the track and into the tri-oval uh, mercifully everyone was okay despite Dillon and Gibbs having quite big hits uh, there was a bit of a red flag for barrier repair as a result. Um, notably, Kozlowski, who's still in the playoffs at this point, would retire from the race as a result of the collision, joining fellow contender Chastain. Uh, the race would end with a 13-lap green flag run to the finish, with Kevin Harvick leading the closing laps and hoping to score a victory in the last few races before his retirement. Uh, on the last lap, Harvick was clear of both cues behind him, but a superbly timed move from Blaney would see him uh, duck underneath Harvick and in front of the lower line, and uh, hit the front into the final two turns. Harvick tried to come back with a push from rookie Riley Herbst behind him, but he couldn't quite get there with Ryan Blaney being pushed behind from behind by William Byron, uh, holding on to take his second win of the season and his third win at Talladega. Uh, hilariously, the margin of victory was just 0.012 of a second, which is the largest margin of victory of his three wins at Talladega, with the previous two being just 0.07 of a second, which ridiculous um multiple cars would spin in the trioval coming to the checkered flag including riley herbst chase elliott and kyle larson no one suffered any major contact mercifully kevin harvick originally took second place but a post-race technical inspection saw the four car excluded due to a windshield fastening violation thus moving william byron up to second place ahead of denny hamlin in third with hamlin coming back from a lap down from a, being a lap down after a pit lane speed re- speeding penalty i think it was um, he ended up being right in contention for the win at the end of the race, such as the year he's having. Um, Corey LaJoy would take his career best finish in fourth, uh, with Austin Sindrick fifth. Uh, after Blaney, Byron and Hamlin, the next playoff driver was Bell down in 14th, ahead of Larson 15th, Reddick 16th, Truex 18th, and Busher 19th. Bubba Wallace was 23rd, ahead of Kyle Busch in 25th, with Brad Kozlowski and Ross Chastain, as previously mentioned, retiring and being classified 32nd, 37th. Um, that means that heading into the final race of the round of 12 at the Charlotte Roval next week, William Byron and Ryan Blaney are locked in on race wins. Denny Hamlin's all but certainly through to the next round, 50 points above the cut line, with the main battle kind of being around Brad Kozlowski, who's two points above, Tyler Reddick, who's two points below, Bubba, who's nine points behind, Chastain, 10 points behind, and Kyle Busch, 26 points behind, so basically in a must-win. Um... You know, we, we, we said at the end of last episode that this is the kind of the chaotic round of the playoffs where anything can kind of happen. For a Talladega playoff race, this was remarkably tame. Um, it was quite refreshing in a way. I feel like the, the final lap was really quite good racing, but 
there were parts in the mid stages which dragged a little bit. Yeah, I started playing solitaire on my computer like halfway through. <laughs> I'm I'm not even kidding. <laughs> For God's sake, I'd love solitaire actually. That's better than me. I, I started taking a nap. He yeah, did. No, I stayed awake. I I, I watched it uh, this morning here in 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 my you know my sim rig. Just had it off on the side while I'm piddling around doing you know doing what it is I do. And uh, about, I don't know, halfway through stage two, I was like, fuck it, Microsoft Solitaire. <laughs> and that's what I did until the end of the race. It was boring. <laughs> yeah, parts of it. There just, wasn't, there just wasn't a whole lot going on, you know? I mean, you, you had some people making runs, some people getting shuffled to the back. Uh, the most, most interesting part, I think, was the conversation that all the broadcasters were having about the spotters. Mm. Yeah, all the all the different styles of spotting, you know, from from driver to driver. I thought that was the, you know, like I said, most interesting part of the race. <laughs> yeah, that insight definitely was the most interesting commentary during the race, and it really is you something very unique to NASCAR and stock car racing that you don't see in other forms of motorsport. People like I don't drive with a spotter. They and they go get a taste of NASCAR or NASCAR spars at the Daytona Twenty Four. Like, wow, those spotters are actually pretty helpful that's really cool yeah um but i mean i've been watching these restricted plate tracks or taper space or however you want to call them races for 20 years this package isn't it <laughs> um because <laughs> before like even like like you go back to like 2003 2004 like one two or three cars could make a difference in building runs getting a push and staying out front and actually make it a real chess match of a race versus you know, the tandem era where you just had two guys hook up and try not to blow up their engines from overheating. It was really entertaining, but it wasn't still really conducive to what people actually want from their NASCAR racing. And now we have this new package, which none of the lines can really get a run unless like you have 10 cars lined up bumper to bumper to build momentum. And if one guy gives it like a quarter car length break to the car in front, the whole line just, it just kills all their momentum. I hope that they're able to address these things with this package, hopefully next year, but probably two years from now to be realistic. But I really dislike this, this form of racing it looking at the race, the first two stages, it was like watching AI drive around the track on iRacing. They're just perfect two by two lines. And yeah, occasionally someone would go up on the third lane, but it never really amounted to much. It, I don't like this package at this track. <laughs> I mean, what what's the what's the point of the restrictor on these super speedways? Is it just to keep the it engine from blowing up? Safety? It is, it is 100% safety. Because if they, in the olden days, if they let the cars be unrestricted, they'd easily top 220 miles an hour and be flying to the catch fence. And that's why they put restrictor plates on them in the first place. Uh, we had a... Uh, Bobby Allison blow a tire go, doing 200 plus miles an hour in the trial and almost take out the flag stand. And they wanted to stop Jesus that Christ. from happening. Uh, so that's why you don't see the speed records anymore at Daytona Talladega. Cause it, you look at those old races, it was wild how fast they were going. And like they had to diamond the corners at Daytona and Talladega to make it through the turns, not just this hold a flat. It was the car is going to, understeer out wide and you get to dime in the corner back down on exit. It was 
it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, how far back would we have to go to see some shit like that? Uh, 1989, I think, is the last one. That far back? 1988-89, I think, is when the Allison wreck was. Okay. It's okay. driving the, the 88 cup cars on uh, iRacing that has really opened my eyes to... Like, you, you drive that and you try and drive it around Daytona or Talladega and you see how difficult it is just to lap on your own. And then you think about how, you know, how difficult it must be to do that around other people. It really does, like, it's like, holy shit, these things were ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there were attempts by NASCAR in the past. I think 2005, Rusty Wallace did a NASCAR sanction test unrestricted at Talladega. He hit some ridiculous speed and he said, yeah, we can't race like this here. Let's go back to the restricted plane. <laughs> I'd love to see like what they could do with or what these cars would do unrestricted now. Um, maybe they need to do like a, an Indy 500 thing where they have a qualifying boost where, where you have it unrestricted for qualifying and then restrict a plate for the race. <laughs> no. I, I, it's well, always I mean, Richard, been- there. I saw, I saw a post from uh Richard Petty the other day and he was talking about how the cars nowadays are way more difficult to drive than the cars from his era. He said back back when he was driving, you know, if the car got sideways or something, you could you could carry that slide out and and save it. Nowadays, the 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 line of tolerance is so thin. Once the car steps out, there's almost no hope of saving it. You're gone. Yeah. Right? And so uh, I, you know, I, I, I would agree with JD here. I don't think you could do an unrestricted, uh, even, even qualifying race. No, I mean, I, I'm only joking as somebody, about it, but yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I mean, if, if we're going to have this discussion about it, right, it, 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 it the, the cars nowadays are just so, I'm not going to say they're unpredictable, but their threshold. Yeah. And, and tolerance for mistakes is so much more narrow than, than what it used to be. Yeah, with this, these cars in general, they're so aerodynamically dependent, even more so than I think even the last-gen cars, that that window is so narrow for where they can actually work and make their max speed and max grip. You go a little bit outside that window, they don't have that that tolerance whatsoever. They go outside of that, they're screwed. I mean, same thing with F1. You see how... like. The Red Bull car at Singapore is just a little bit out of its tolerance with that car track combo, and it was dog crap. You know, NASCAR's kind of gone the same way with the over-reliance on that rear diffuser for this next-gen car. That doesn't affect Talladega, per se, but just NASCAR's packages as a whole. As, as far as, like, the tapered spacer package at Daytona Talladega, they need to do something, either punch a bigger hole in the air with these cars, or maybe, yeah, let them have a little bit more horsepower so cars can actually make a difference with the runs. But this this isn't it, in my opinion. What, what do you think the answer is to make these super speedway races more entertaining while also maintaining the integrity of the mile and a half tracks and the short tracks and things like that? I mean, you don't have to do anything to the cars at the mile and a half, but we know with this next-gen car, we've had two years of it now, short tracks and restrictor plates are awful now. I mean, they, I'd, I'd personally take off the rear diffuser at short tracks and maybe even Daytona Talladega. I feel like it's not needed at those places whatsoever. But what do I know? I'm just a guy on the internet. <laughs> Aren't we all? 
aren't we all? Um, yeah, I thought it was it, it was nice to have a race where they didn't tear their shit up. Like, so often yeah. this race, particularly the playoff race at Talladega, it's just a complete wreck fest. And yeah, we had a couple of big wrecks. Um, but, you know, we didn't really have a big one. Like, we, we there were like three or four cars in that one with Carson Hosevar. Um, but we didn't have like a complete field destruction, which was quite nice to see. But ultimately, I think these races rely so much on that and ensuing restarts for there to be any kind of entertainment apart from the final laps. So when you don't have those, as, as much as I'm glad we didn't have those wrecks, without them, you're not really left with anything. So it's not it's not yeah. an ideal situation. <laughs> no, and I mean, the, the, to say the race was completely unentertaining is a bit of a exaggeration. Yes, stage right? one like, was so, all right, because they were kind of like, they yeah. were still pushing quite needlessly hard for the point of the race they were in. Stage two definitely trailed off as they kind of yeah. tried to make it to the end, but it wasn't I, terrible, but it wasn't I, great. I thought the Denny Hamlin storyline throughout mm. the race was, uh, was pretty fun to watch. Right. So, I mean, he was, he was a lap down trying to fight for that, that first car, first lap car position. So he can get the, the pass by. Uh, and at one point he was pushing the car, the, one of the cars that or the car that was in front of him in the lap down count, he was pushing that car ahead of him. So I was, I was kind of confused as to why he would be doing that. You know, you're, you're not, not really helping your own case. Uh, but, uh, I, th where, where did he, where did he finish? Denny. At the end of fourth. it. Yeah. Fourth and yeah. then got promoted because of Harvard. Yeah. But, yeah. So good job, yeah. Denny Hamlin, right? Like managing that whole race, making the right decisions, doing what he needed to do. And, uh, and he, he got up into the top five. So yeah. yeah. Wow. It really shows how strong him and that team are uh, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot because um, that was entirely self-inflicted for that whole entire comeback to be a lap down with the speeding penalty. But going back to like stage one, stage two being kind of boring aside from the one caution at the end of stage one, that's been the hallmark of these super speedway races for years. I remember Dale Jr. would lead half the race. They're all single file against the outside wall, just waiting until the last 10 laps to do something, you know, and that's part of why we got stage breaks, mm. you know, so they actually forced the drivers to race during these, these restrictor plate races. Um, I think another thing that would kind of help is this doesn't need to be a 500 mile race, make it 400 miles, Yeah, 500 <laughs> miles at Talladega. doesn't mean anything anymore. Daytona 500. Then you get the Pepsi 400. Sure. Have the spring be 500 miles, make this one 400 condense the race build that intensity, you know, for drivers to actually push more throughout rather than, okay, let's ride around, save gas for a hundred miles. That mean nothing is like, you heard even drivers say like, we were just riding around half throttle, not doing anything. That's why it was just two by two for so long. So shorten the race, build that intensity. I mean, the, the final 13 laps were really intense. Yeah. It was yeah. like the best thriller movie it's super intense. Like, oh, are they going to wreck? They were all trying to wreck. They yeah. didn't until the start finish line. But like, we had to wait two and a half, three hours to get to that point. Mm. Cut off forty five minutes of that wait, and then there you go. There's your intense entertainment. Another thing about Talladega is I think they need to move that start finish line back. No, I don't, no, I I don't like no. it. 
I don't no. like it. <laughs> I was actually I was watching the highlights again uh, this morning, and I was actually thinking, I I really I I it, for the first time in a while I thought. I really like where the start finish line is here. I'm not saying you should move Daytona there or anything like that, but no, I'd, I think having the start finish line there just adds a whole different degree of intensity as you come through the trioval because we know how difficult it is to push through the trioval. Look what Brad Kozlowski does, although he manages to drive through people on the regular. You know, that's another part of it. You know, it makes the run to the checkered flag that much more on the edge because you're you're giving it everything and then you're going through that really not banked corner compared to what you've been running on i i like it that's that's a fair point that's a fair point i just i'm thinking about how much different it would be if the start finish line was like in the opposite spot Mm. before the trial before hmm right that like every race winner from the last 20 years would have been completely different. Yeah. Yeah. If he was in that spot. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Shorten that drag race out, make them make moves in the turn. No, I, I, I like, I like it, it being where it's at because that's kind of, I know talking about F1, but I hate how F1 start finish lines, are like right at the exit of the corner. So no one has a chance to really like do a last minute lunge with DRS at the line towards the end of the straight. It's always like he's out the corner five feet later, he's crossed the line. So I, I like runs being able to be built up right at the end. You know, the extra sizzle for the fans. That's fair. That's fair. Plus it's one extra corner for them to wreck out. So everybody loves it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that, that move uh, in the, in the final lap by Ryan Blaney to, um, you know, Kevin Harvick got clear, you know, everyone thought, Oh, is this going to be the, the final win of his career potentially? Cause he retires in a couple races time. And then Ryan Blaney comes in with that move. You know, he he didn't have a great push from Riley Herbst behind him. Dropped back to a point where Kevin was clear. And then just jukes him. You know, manages to time it so well. Like full credit to his spotter, Josh Williams, as well. Um, for, for no, his spotter didn't do anything. He <laughs> said he, his spotter didn't clear him. Epic move. Yeah, just perfectly timed. <laughs> like, to, at that speed, to judge that, to get underneath Harvick and in front of the lower line brilliant and and you know i shit on ryan blaney quite a lot i in my opinion he's one of the most mid drivers in nascar right now um he's good at super speedways i mean he's won three of these ones um is this is this ryan blaney you know he's kind of had a resurgence this year and by that i mean he's won two races instead of none like is this him getting a little better or is it just you know the luck of of talladega i think he's a more skilled of a super speedway racer than people give him credit for. I mean, he's had opportunities to win at least three other super speedway races. Just, you know, he gets screwed over slash wrecked by his teammates, you know? So I, I think he's much better than people give him credit for in that discipline. Um, but I think if he wins one more race, he's at double digit wins. I don't think you can be a mid NASCAR driver with double digit win totals. Yeah, True. And like even last year, which I say was a really mid year for him, he was in the top five, top 10 more often than not. And it was only really due to the playoff kind of format that he ended the season eighth in points while Logano won the championship. So maybe it's a case of the the championship format is making drivers look worse than they are because consistency doesn't matter anymore. Whereas in a regular season points thing, he'd be right up there because he's consistent. So I, I don't know. And also you've got to put into fact that Penske aren't that great at the moment 
Like o- over the last few years, it's only really been Logano who's been able to lead it for them. And he very much benefited last year as a result of the playoffs format. So, you know, you know I, it, maybe it is a combination. Maybe I shouldn't be so harsh on him. Um, but yeah, he's, he's through to the round of eight now. Uh, there's no more super speedways for him to, to win at. So we'll have to see how he does for the rest of it. But um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he can do a Logano and get into a championship. I wouldn't have said I wouldn't have seen that coming. He's not in my championship four. <laughs> and all of our brackets are busted. They're They've been already. busted for a while. <laughs> I mean, I just banked all of my money on Christopher Bell, and he wasn't. He's. I mean, he's not even in the conversation today until now. I'm bringing him up. <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I I was I was expecting him to at least qualify well. Yeah, you know, on on Saturday, I'm sitting there at the restaurant we were at, watching these qualifying times go by, and I had to scroll down. I'm like, where the fuck is you say that though? But he's still Rubella? he's he's currently fourth in the playoff standings, behind I mean, two he, winners he and Denny. So he can be there. I'm just saying, like, does he have th- the next extra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he have it to to clear those three? And and like I said, during the he wasn't brought up once. He was a non-subject the entire time yesterday. No, the only time he was brought up was when he got damaged from Stenhouse's wreck. Yeah, he got he got a little bit of damage in that, and that kind of put him in a position where he couldn't lead any lines, but he could maybe hang on in a draft. And once you're in that position, no one works with you anyway. So he's good at a road course, so maybe the Roval will be good for him. And Toyota have been pretty good at uh, road courses this year as well. So maybe next week is the one where he kind of reemerges, but, um, I mean, of the, of the, of the top, uh, was like eight, I guess. How many of those guys have wins? Uh, or what in the, in the playoffs? Uh, well, it's, it's still the round by round system. So at the moment, Byron and Blaney are the only winners in this round. Um, and everyone else kind of resets afterwards. So it's kind of pointless what happened in, yeah. in, in okay. other races, but, um, I mean, this is what this is kind of how Christopher Bell got to the championship four last year. He wasn't he wasn't one of the favorites, and he still got all the way there. And then once you get to the final, who knows what happens? So I, I think he's still very much like, like other than Byron and Hamlin. Uh, I know I originally had Truex in there as well, but he's had a, kind of a nightmare playoff so far. Other than Byron and Hamlin, I think the final two positions in the championship four are well up for debate with any of them right now. So I don't think there's a bad pick anymore. So it's exciting, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> Time for a heartburn corner. <laughs> God, it's going to be chaos. Um, are we hoping for rain this this coming weekend at Charlotte? Why not? <laughs> I mean, turn on the sprinklers. What? Why, why I, not? I love a good wet race. Like it, it, it's it adds just more chaos to it. And I think out of all the wet race possibilities, I think the Roval would be the absolute worst scenario. I mean, we've seen it. We've yeah. seen it in the past. How bad it can be. <laughs> it was great. How many? How many cars just went straight through at Turn One all a few them. years ago? and they don't even need the rain to do that so i mean like hell yeah Yeah. i'm down for it but um yeah best drivers in the world allegedly Uh yeah no it's it's gonna be interesting (laughs) to see what happens yeah because like i said we've got a tight battle for the one position above and several positions below 
But then you've got the likes of, of Larson, Truex, Busher, and even Bell to an extent, who aren't out of the realms of being eliminated if they have a retirement. And, you know, Larson's hit or miss when it comes to road courses, he either doesn't factor anywhere or he dominates it. Brad Kozlowski's absolute dog shit at road courses. So I would be very nervous about him making it through, considering he's only two points above. And then just below, you got Tyler Reddick, who's one of the really good road course races. Uh, races. Ross Chastain as well, he can pull it out. Um, Kyle Busch, you know, he, sometimes he's pretty good, sometimes he's pretty shit, to quote a meme. Um, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe <laughs> shit. So, yeah, yeah I think it, it's kind of impossible to, to really predict what's going to happen at the Roval. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, mean, but it's good. <laughs> It's kind of what we were talking about last week, right? Like these these last few races, uh, especially these two, Talladega. I mean, it ended up being a snooze fest, but the Roval, like we were praising it being in the cha- in the uh, in the playoffs because you don't know what's going to happen, mm. and that's kind of you know if if you want an entertaining playoff season, let's throw in some crazy variables. Yeah, you know, and that's that's going to be one of them. I th- I. I if I had to put my money on anybody, I, I think Reddick. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Reddick, you know. And that's the kiss of death to him, so he'll yeah. probably like break a, a drive shaft on out. the pace lap. So, <laughs> rip Reddick. Who's that? It's Oh, it's Shane Van Gisbergen out of nowhere. Now, um, <laughs> what a shame he isn't here, but oh well. There's a little, a, a little race for him coming up this weekend. Uh, that's a little bit more important, I would say, than the Roval race. But we'll, we'll see him at the Roval next year, probably. Um, also in action at Talladega was the Truck Series, um, where Brett Moffitt uh, managed to pull off a three-wide move on an overtime restart to take victory. Um, there was a there were there were some pretty big hits in this one as well. Most notably, Greg Van Oust had a a really fast, violent head-on hit in the tri-oval he ended up fracturing, fracturing some vertebrae but mercifully he was uh, released from hospital um on sunday i believe um so hopefully he recovers soon but yeah mercifully yeah i think that the always the, always the good things with talladega is when everybody manages to come out not injured <laughs> particularly so that that's the best thing yeah yeah as long as no drivers and no fans or, or crew members are hurt then it's a good weekend uh, I haven't really been paying attention to Greg Van Alst since Daytona. I didn't know he was in the truck series. Yeah, he's kind of had he's had like a one a couple of one off starts here and there. Um, that's that's really cool though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but considering the reason why he left Arca mm. back in the day, right? Like he ran out of fucking money, and then it took him what thirteen years to get back, and then wins, and then now he's making appearances in the truck series fuck yeah yeah good job guys it's really good and that was one of our first things we spoke about on this podcast was the the daytona yeah. weekend where he won and how cool it was to see a a guy yeah. get a win that meant that much yeah so mm-hmm. yeah hopefully he gets well soon and hopefully he's uh gets some more outings there because he's he's good we like him it's a yeah. cool story still i think still today one of my favorite like post-race yeah. victory interviews <laughs> yeah it was excellent um Away from the track, we had a couple of NASCAR news announcements as well. A couple relating to the schedule, which we don't have yet, but knowing our schedule, it will probably be released before this show comes out. Um, yeah. But the 
bits we've had are kind of stuff that we kind of knew was going to happen. So firstly, uh, NASCAR announced that the Brickyard 400 is returning and NASCAR will be going back to the Oval at Indianapolis instead of the road course. This is divisive. I actually, I really liked the road course race at Indianapolis. I think much of people's uh, sort of distaste about it was turn one and that was mainly a skill issue for the drivers. Um, yeah. it, it, it's more than possible <laughs> to get through that corner without an incident um, unless your name's Sebastian Bourdais. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm sad that the road course race is going, but equally having the Brickyard back is cool. I'll be interested because, you know, we, we came off the Brickyard because the races weren't that good. And now we've got a car that has made bad races good. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how the next gen performs on the Brickyard Oval. Call me super pessimistic. I don't think it'll be a good race. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it, it's up in the air. Like, I, I don't, it, I, I'm not expecting it to be a banger, but... It, it won't be a good race. Because, yes, you're right. It's made bad tracks good. But look at how Indianapolis Media Street is configured. It's really flat banking-wise compared to most of the ovals. It's still single groove compared to all the other ovals that we go to. It's just a shallower Texas it's not going to be a good race. Oof. I'm sorry. It, it's never really been a good race. And that's why we went to the road course in the first place. I I think that uh, the next four years we'll go back to the road course. Like, you know what? It actually was better racing than are you, it makes are on you the saying old. Indianapolis is not a good track? Finesca. It's not a good track for stock cars. Yes. For stock car oval racing. It it's not good. It's like how Sorry. how a bad series will make a good track bad. Like Formula One does it a lot and NASCAR does it a lot That's as well. Fair. So yeah. yeah, Indianapolis is still the best. Plus the Brickyard no, 400 no. is a good race because Jeff Gordon won it five times. So it must be good. He also won the first one. Yeah. So, so it's just a good yeah, race. No, no slight against, no slight against IMS. It's a great facility, has great racing, just stock cars on the oval. Yeah. Suck. It, it's NASCAR's Sorry. problem more than the Speedway's problem. Yeah. But yeah. And I, and I uh, will repeat my uh, comments for the next thing you're about to say. Uh, I don't think it'll be a good race again. See, I didn't think the the race... So, yeah, the next schedule announcement was that the All-Star race is going to return to North Wilkesboro again in 2024. I actually thought it was good. Uh, I, I thought of, of all of the All-Star races we've had since they moved from Charlotte, and we've gone through this kind of phase where they've experimented with different tracks. It's. I think North Wilkesboro was definitely the best of them since. Um yeah, it wasn't bad. But again, we're kind of beholden to NASCAR's short track product, which isn't great. If they can sort the short yeah. track product, excellent. But will they? Probably not. <laughs> so Yeah, the, the short track package is why I think it'll be mm. another lackluster race like Richmond, like Martinsville. Yeah. It's not going to be good just because of the short track package. Love the track. Love that it's back. Don't get me wrong. And I know they're going to repave it. But I think they. Packaged. I was about to say. I think they started today. Yeah. On on the repave. All fantastic, great things for the track. It's not going to be a good, entertaining race for the sake of the race, just because of the pack. Yeah, unless they that's, fix it. It's my but. pessimistic two cents. I guess I have to re- return my NASCAR fan card. <laughs> no, it's it's yeah. I, again, like you said, really cool story for North Wilkesboro. Let's just hope nascar do something for the package give them lo- how long until iRacing scans the repave yeah they really should they really should <laughs> it, it, the, the, it, it, the, the biggest thing for the all-star race for me wasn't exactly wasn't actually the race which kind of 
caters to your point but just how good it looked like it looked barely recognizable to what it was just like four years ago or something so it's such a cool story um yeah we're still waiting on the actual schedule being announced um again as we kind of hinted at a couple of weeks ago there's a chance for some really big shake-ups to the schedule in terms of what races are in the playoffs whether we get montreal you know it, it, there's the potential that next year could be a really really cool schedule we just got to wait a little bit longer for it and uh, yeah i'm sure it'll be announced tomorrow now that we've spoken about it today um one last little bit of nascar related news before we move on to some uh formula one related stuff uh it was announced prior to talladega that kyle bush has sold uh kyle bush motorsports his truck series team uh they uh will be bought by spire motorsports um this is interesting i don't i don't know whether i'm surprised by it or not because obviously we've heard a lot about kyle saying that his plans for later in his career is that he wants to go back to the truck series win a truck series championship and become one of the only drivers to win all three and then hand over his truck seat to brexton his son when he gets of age I always assumed that would all be under the Kyle Busch Motorsports banner, but he has come out uh, recently saying that he doesn't feel like he can be in two places at once. He can't give everything he has to to uh, Richard Childress and his cup efforts whilst also focusing on the running of, of the truck series team. Um, he said he will continue to race for the team as they transition to Spire Motorsports. So I guess that's, you know, the possibility is still there that he races for them and carries out his grand plan with them. I don't know. Is this is this a surprise? Um, two things. First of all, Spire knows something that we don't because they are going on a spending spree. Holy and crap! Ready money, baby. Uh, <laughs> I mean, how much? How much control does Andretti have of Spire now? Because dang, they're writing some big checks. Um, second thing is it's probably a condition of the sale that Kyle Busch put in the contract. Like, Hey, I get to come back and race basically whenever I want to. So that's smart on him to not have the expense of owning the team. And now he gets to have his cake and eat it too. So props to him. I think it's a good move for him. Like he said, less things on his mind. He can just focus on driving. And then when his kid is old enough, ready made seat. I think it's a win all around. I mean, his kid's like seven years old. Yeah, he's got a decade. That's, he's got yeah, time. He's going to be a long time before. <laughs> he did, he I mean, how old is Kyle Busch now? Oh, he's in 40? his forties. He's got to be right? in his forties. Yeah. Let me hit the old Google. <laughs> he he's in his right. midlife crisis. He doesn't need the added stress of paying for a race team. He doesn't he need let tr- someone else pay for the team. He doesn't need a truck series team. He needs a Porsche. That's what he needs. Like. Oh, he's 38. <laughs> he's 38. Oh, okay. 38. He's 38. Okay. Damn. He's younger he's got, than I thought he's he was. Time. Man, he, I thought he, I thought the man was in his mid Yeah, we have insulted him. That dude was born in 1985. We have insulted that man. <laughs> we, we He needs the years have not been kind to him. That whole taking a gun to Mexico has really aged him. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes, really. Um, I, I Yeah. I'm sure when he eventually does, you know, retire from Cup and go back to trucks, he's going to win. Like, you you don't stop a guy like Kyle winning something like that. You know, he, he has dominated the races he has done in the past for them. So it's almost a certainty that he's going to end up winning a truck series championship. It just won't be necessarily with his name um, on the team owner's side, which is strange, but not side note. His brother is 45. Ah, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. The better one. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, that does it for NASCAR. Now onto some Formula One news. Um, and th- this kind of was some news that started last week and was then concluded today as we record. Um, last week, another candidate, or another one of the candidates who entered to try and join the Formula One grid stepped forward and, and announced that they had done so. Um, so this is following on from Formula One opening up inquiries for teams to join. Uh, they were looking at two teams to join, and um, th- there was believed to be four candidates. So far, the candidates that we know put their names forward were Andretti and Hitech. But we also learnt last week that Roden uh, had a bid, and they also admitted last week that their bid had failed. Um, Rodin Cars are a, a team that has been in multiple uh, Junior Formula League championships. It's kind of similar to high tech. Uh, they've got a bit of a relationship going with Carlin. That um, they're heavily involved with Carlin, so it's, it's Rodin Carlin usually. Um, now the um, important thing is something we'll get onto in a moment. But they had actually said like they, they failed. Their bid failed. They didn't meet all of the criteria that the FIA were looking for. Um, but they did go into detail with some of the things that they would have done. Uh, they said that they had committed to reserving one of their seats for a female driver. Um, they had tested multiple drivers, including Liam Lawson and Louis Sharp, but also Jamie Chadwick. And essentially, they perform- that they said that Jamie had performed so well that they had basically guaranteed her an F1 seat had they gotten on the grid. Um, cool to see a team willing to do that because i think that's the thing you know all the formula one teams are kind of making a push toward women drivers right now and and trying to support them through for f1 academy you know we saw jessica hawkins become the first woman since 2018 to test a formula one car at the hungaring with aston martin last week but no one has really looked to have the 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 drive to actually put a woman in a race seat um so yeah yeah Rodin it's a shame that Rodin haven't gotten on the grid because they would have given a woman that opportunity but equally you know the FIA obviously after their their last spate of adding new teams are a little bit more cautious about who they allow on the grid and if you don't meet the very stringent criteria you're not going to get it um at the same time Rodin announced somewhat strangely um that Andretti were the only successful applicant. This hadn't been officially confirmed at all, but then sure enough today, we got confirmation from the FIA formally announcing that Andretti has been approved their application to join the Formula 1 grid. So initially it's like, oh, they've finally Yay. done it. No, because <laughs> now they have to negotiate with Formula 1 management and Formula 1 and that involves teams discussing commercial viability and all that bollocks. So the first hurdle, which I think we all kind of assumed that Andretti were going to clear, has been cleared. Now is when we really find out whether Formula One is going to keep at its own bullshit or see the greater good of the sport and allow them in. What do we think? (laughs) Uh, I mean, European bureaucracy. Correct. Just, we could stop there, like, correct. It, it astounds me sometimes. You know, like, I I mean, I get it. You want to be careful. And us living in America, we're pretty, uh, uh, let's just say we have a reputation for just doing shit. 
you know? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do it, find out what happens. Um so I mean it 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 just it's it's astounding to me how many hoops you have to jump through to make this fucking happen. And the goalposts I mean, we keep all want shifting, it. that's the thing. Like yeah, we have it, criteria and then they meet the criteria and then everyone's like, um actually here's some more criteria. It's yeah, yeah. you had to pass that level to find out what was in the next Here's the next boss. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It's Toto Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, yeah, what, how, they're going to get through this, right? And the FOM and all that, they're going to get approved. And then uh, something else is going to pop up. Then they're going to have to have a team vote, right? Of all the existing teams or some shit. Like, what? What's going to happen is that. They'll get through F1, the entity, and then they'll go to the teams. And then Ferrari, Mercedes, everyone else are going to say no. And then that'll be the end of it. They'll be like, oh, you have to pay $2 billion to to the fund so we don't lose money. And then they'll still say no. So then they'll just be they, they'll just bleed, bleed in dready dry and we will still have 10 teams on the grid. F1 is going to F1. They want to keep their little boys club and it's going to be really stupid that they want to admit Andretti just calling it now. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand the team's argument for the, the prize fund being dilution diluted because there's literally a a prize dilution fee that they have to pay to make sure that the prize money stays the same. There's that fee, but they said, Oh, actually we didn't think anyone would want to join, but now people do. Um, that's not enough. Yeah. But Andretti's got fucking money. Yeah. So uh, no, it's it's um, you know, it's what I like is this this whole situation is kind of exposing a deepening divide between Formula One and the FIA, where you know originally the FIA were hesitant, especially because of the way Michael was going about it. He was being very vocal in wanting to join when F one wasn't open to it. The FIA changed their tune, have done their due process, which I agree with. You know, it's good that they went through this application process to avoid us having a USF1. But, um, you know, they've gotten through it. And then the FIA's response to... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Formula One's response to the FIA's announcement today was, this is great. We note the FIA's conclusions in relation to the first and second phases of their process and will now conduct our own assessment of the merits of the remaining application, which is basically a, that's nice, anyway. <laughs> like, it's bullcrap. Utter bullcrap. We, we've been for it. We don't need to retread the water on what whether we think Andretti should be on the grid. They should be. Uh, of all of the teams in motorsport that aren't in Formula One, that should join Formula One, Andretti. I, I struggle to think of anyone above Andretti. It would be people in a similar vein to like Penske or Ganassi. It would be those powerhouses of motorsport. And 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 that aside, you know, their reputation aside, and what they could and what they've done in motorsport aside, the sheer fact that F1 is trying to get more and more of a foothold in the US. And then arguably the biggest name in US motorsport is begging to get on the grid and is prepared to pay whatever you want. And they're still not letting him on. It's utter, it's potentially the most embarrassing thing that Formula One might end up doing in recent memory. And that is quite a fucking bar to climb. Yeah, including fake water. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
<laughs> for fuck's sake. I forgot about the fucking marina. <laughs> Everyone has everything to gain here. Yeah. Right. But the teams are too short sighted to see it. Everything has every or everyone has everything to gain here. And the only people that are gonna lose out if if this doesn't happen. Well, I'm not gonna say the only people. Let me rephrase that. They have everything to lose also. Hmm. Right? Everyone. If 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 this if this doesn't happen, it's not it's not so much the fact of like American representation, right? It's what you said. It's a powerhouse in motorsport, not NASCAR, not IndyCar, not WEC, Formula, or anything. It is just pure motorsport power. And then everything that they can bring to it. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's flabbergasting. And that was before they had General <laughs> Motors on board as well. Like, you're, you're then yeah. bringing one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world as well. Like, why are you not giving him money to join Formula One? Like... <laughs> Yeah, Greg hit it right on the head. It's a short-sightedness by Formula One. And this problem has been existing in F1 for decades. You know, anyone who's watched it, it's had the same problems forever. Um, I read the Ross Braun book, Total Competition. He said the same thing. He said, the way to fix Formula One is that you need a five-year plan. But every time I talked to my F1 colleagues, they said, oh, no, I need something either one year or two years, five years. That's too far out. He's like, no, you need to be patient and actually put these plans in and implement them. But everyone's so short-sighted, so needlessly greedy, they can't see the bigger picture that would help all of them. So if they don't want Andretti, F them. Andretti will just dominate everywhere else. Yeah, and and, and given the kind of sort of news that came out in the last week about Formula One's social media engagements going down quite a lot, you know, there are signs that this this rapid rise of Formula One isn't as bulletproof as maybe Formula One thought. There are still there is still the the very high potential that it spirals back to how it was pre pandemic, pre drive to survive if they don't make the right decisions. And I think not allowing Andretti on the grid would be a spiral that would send Formula One back. So yeah, if. If not then, if not them, then who? who? Yeah, you might who? as well. If, if Andretti who, who doesn't get on it? the grid, don't bother searching for new applicants because you know yeah. you, you're clearly not going to accept anyone if you're not going to accept Andretti. They've got absolutely everything they've asked for and more, and yet they're still not being allowed in. It's F1 elitism at its absolute clearest. So, the, the only thing I could I could think of that they're maybe trying to shoot for is. Like a Porsche or a they already Lamborghini failed with Porsche or that failed. They, 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 well, they want manufacturers, and yet the Porsche deal fell through because of Red Bull. That wasn't really, you know, Red Bull didn't want to give up as much as what Porsche wanted to take. So they got Audi. That's good, but they partnered with an existing team. So that, that that's what they want. They want these manufacturers to come in and partner with existing teams. And yes, that's possible. Some are doing it. You know, we've seen Ford coming in kind of with Red Bull. Um, we've seen Audi coming in with Sauber. Um, I'm, I'm rapidly trying to think of the example I was literally just thinking. Oh, yeah, uh, it, there's there's talks now between McLaren and Toyota in the wake of Rio Hirakawa's signing. It's possible, but why would you not? Like, more cars is good. And the Concord Agreement yeah. allows you to have 26. There are 20. It, it, everything ticks in my mind to say, why isn't this happening? So, 
It's it's confusing. Yeah. Oh, Formula One. Mind bottling. Yeah. Let's move on before um, we all fall into a collective rage even more than we already are. Um, actually, this next story isn't really going to make Greg any happier. Formula E news, because whilst everything yeah. else is ramping down, Formula E is already ramping up to its next season, which starts in January with preseason testing, I think, taking place in November or December. Um, so it's not far until we get that. Um, in the last week, we've had a whole range of driver announcements. Um, I believe as of this week, we now only have to wait on confirmation for the two Porsche drivers. And it looks very likely that they're going to stick with Verline and DaCosta. So essentially, the, the field is set now. The first announcement, much to um, Greg's dismay, is that uh, Eduardo Mortara is going to Mahindra Racing and will be partnered by Nick DeVries. Yeah. Great. Go. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a good It move. makes sense for him. Yeah. It makes sense. Right. Like, I, I can't really argue with it. He's already a Formula E champion. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in the sport. Uh, yeah. Go for it, tractor company. The, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> different Mahindra. Uh, um, um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Mahindra aren't in a great place right now. They're a team that have throughout Formula E's history kind of been capable of good things, but most often don't. Um, and, you know, they've over the last few years, they brought in a number of different veterans and they it just hasn't worked. Like Degrassi left very quickly, which isn't a great sign. Um so from Mahindra's point of view, it's a good lineup because you've got experience and they can help develop and, and try and get the car better. You know, Mortara is absolutely phenomenal. De Vries, outside of Formula One, is absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, it should be a good lineup. But equally, I, I worry for De Vries because he's obviously much more well-known now than when he was when he won the Formula E championship. But that's mainly because of how bad he was in Formula One. So now everyone's going to look to him going back to Formula E and think, oh, he should dominate because he's won the championship before, but he's going to be stymied by pretty naff equipment, which people are mainly going to kind of put on him because he was bad in Formula One. So I, I, I kind of feel bad for the dude, but equally, I agree with you, Greg. I just don't like him. So I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> He also seems like the kind of guy who likes any milk in his latte. I hate you. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really dislike you. Um, that wasn't the only <laughs> Formula E news. Um, we had the announcement from Maserati that um, their previous driver, Maxi Gunter, is going to be partnered by Jehan Daruvala, who will be making his Formula E debut. Uh, Daruvala is a former Red Bull junior. He's been in Formula 2 for the last few years. He's pretty good. Um I'd certainly put him up there with the likes of other people that have moved over to Formula E from Formula 2, like Dan Tictum. You know, quick, but not very refined. I like him more than Dan Tictum, which isn't a high bar. Um, yeah, he'll be interesting. He'll be interesting. Yeah, sure. Talk about another guy who the years have not been kind to. Uh, a man's only 25, and he looks... Oh, Tarvala. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the Red Bull he, driver program for you. <laughs> he looks like he is 40, and like a hard 40. <laughs> Shit, we are going after everyone's age in this episode. Fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, 
But yeah, good for them. I mean, that, yeah, <laughs> the getting a seat in, in Formula E, I think, means more now than it did, say, five years ago. Yeah. Right. Like, awesome series. We've been praising it all year. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it, it is it is a for real racing series now. It's not just a gimmick. Uh, and so to get a seat in one of these cars is a good achievement, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, good for them. <laughs> and then the final driver announcement that we have so far is Luca Degrassi, who we just mentioned left Mahindra. Um, he is returning to ABT, who are now partnered with Cooper, having previously partnered with Audi. Um, ABT, Audi were the team that he won his championship with. He spent... Uh, I think like, 116 races with them. Uh, so basically the first like seven years of his Formula E career was with this team. They've had a bit of a dive um, in the last couple of years. So again, it's 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 not going to be a race winning car for, De Vri- for, for I was going to say De Vries. There's too many Ds on the grid. Um, right. It, it's not going to be a, 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 a immediately competitive option for Degrassi. It, to me, it kind of feels more like the kind of move you make before you retire. Um, and I wonder how long it will be before Degrassi does. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. He's going to partner Nico Muller, who did as much as he could with the Cupra last year. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's it, there, there really are. A, 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 it, there is a case now in, in the last few years where there, there are some teams who are at the back. And Mahindra and ABT have really become that in the last couple of years. It's not like a couple of years ago when Mahindra were winning with Rosenquist and Verline. Well, Verline never quite got a win for them, but never mind. That still hurts. Um, isn't it pronounced apt because that's the family's name? I was thinking that earlier too. I didn't want to it, say it, anything. It's apt ABT. It it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> They're at the back anyway. <laughs> Who cares? Um, it's all Daniel Apt's fault. Yeah, yeah. Him and uh, not racing in sim racing things that he's supposed to be. God, do you remember that whole controversy where he got that sim racer to drive for him? That was amazing. Yeah god oh he got a ringer yeah yeah is that him? it was during yeah during yeah. covid they there was the formula e thing and he got the i think it was oh. lawrence heinrich to drive for him or someone like that or i don't remember who exactly but yeah he's the guy who got the sim racer in for I, him and then he suddenly shot up 20 places on the grid i didn't know that was him. so good his yeah. camera mysteriously turned off just before they started driving fucking perfect love that um and that's the most meaningful wow. he's been <laughs> yikes Anyway, that about does it for our first part of the show. Um, join us in our second part, where, as I said at the at the start of the show, it's going to be going to be a lot more reminiscent of what we're going to do in the postseason. So it's going to be a, a discussion, basically, on whether or not there can be a goat in racing. And I'm not talking about the animal. Join us for that after this. With half the show gone, there's still half the show still to go. This is the Into the Paddock Podcast. This is the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. 
go into the weekend with the end of the apex podcast reliably producing sim racing and i racing banter for over three years tyler bradley patrick and rob come together each week to hang out and everyone's invited Coming out of the Motorsport Weekend, there's the end of the Paddock Podcast, where Jordan, Greg, and John will dig deep into all the real motorsport happenings from pretty much every series out there. There are no cold takes on ITP. It's all on the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. We're here for you every week, and we're bringing the provocative motorsport talk. Into the Apex is excited to introduce a monthly subscription. For 99 cents a month, get regular, exclusive audio and video content on the Into the Apex podcast feed, presented by Spotify. Into the Apex After Dark, OnlyFans Into the Apex, Infowars Into the Apex, we're not too sure what it's called just yet, but we do know that it's edgy, it's provocative, it's everything we do here at the Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. To subscribe, go to IntoTheApex.com and hit the subscription button down below. This This is Into the Apex Motorsport Podcast Network. And welcome back to the second part of tonight's Into the Paddock Podcast. Uh, Before we get underway with our little debate for this second part... Uh, make sure you're following us at all our various social media channels. We are at Into the Paddock, that's with the number two, on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Uh, there you can stay up to date when our latest episodes go live, which is on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, also, be sure to check out our affiliated podcasts on the Into the Apex podcast network and subscribe to the Into the Apex YouTube channel to see video clips from our show and our sister shows. And if you are a fan of the Into the Apex podcast network, uh, head over to intotheapex.com to find out more about how you can sign up for 99 cents a month for premium access through Spotify and Anchor. So that's all at intotheapex.com. Can I go ahead and plug something? It's relevant. Go for it. It's relevant. Uh, Operation Motorsport, we're starting our season seven uh, campaign on iRacing. It's being broadcast via Podium Esports on the Operation Motorsport uh, YouTube channel and our very own Tyler Beeman is actually joining podium eSport for the season to commentate on the race yeah. I will be racing and uh, yeah that's gonna be Tuesdays at 7 p.m Central Standard Time so yeah check that out excellent so on to our debate topic for today and now during last week's show, we kind of stumbled across this topic and said that we were going to cover it in the off-season, and then we saw that only Talladega was happening this week and thought, fuck it, let's move it forward. Um, we mentioned GOATs, greatest of all time, and how, particularly in Formula One, it, it's, it's a topic that comes up a lot. You know, who is the greatest of all time? I think the question should be framed more, can there be? a greatest of all time when it comes to Formula One. And then, you know, this is largely centered around Formula One, but I think later in this conversation, we'll talk about motorsport as a whole. Um, I'm going to go right ahead and, and say what I think and then see what you guys think with regards to this. I don't think that it's, it's, it's as simple as saying there is a greatest of all time in Formula One. There is statistical greatest of all time, which is Lewis Hamilton, because he has seven championships and more wins than Michael Schumacher. Eight, if you discount Abu Dhabi um 
you know it, jesus christ <laughs> i don't believe that someone's just gonna say it for i'd beat them to the punch so you can have a statistic i, I don't think either one of us were gonna say no it. no I no i mean not you i mean like f1 twitter um oh, oh, well. <laughs> but nobody listens to them anyway um yeah yeah so you can have a statistical greatest of all time but to actually name a greatest is difficult particularly in in sports like formula one and we mentioned this a little bit last week with how much the sport has evolved over the years like you look at a 1950s formula one car and compare it to now hell you look at a 1990s formula one car and compare it to now the sport what it takes to win the duration of races the number of races you know everything has changed it's so hard to compare formula one through from one era to another so my petition if you will is that rather than the greatest of all time you have greatest of each era. You know, there, there are some pretty defined eras of Formula One racing. It almost works out decade by decade. Like, you think of 1950s when the cars looked very much different to how they did even in the 60s, where they started adopting that very, like, they, I think they call it the cigar-shaped box, where it was really thin, and, and, you know, you started having some aerodynamics creep in toward the 1970s, there's your next era. Ground effect in the 80s really big turbo monsters in the late 80s into the 90s then then you had the kind of more modern era of formula one that crept in from 20 you know 2010 into now and then you get the turbo hybrid era it all kind of works out that way and i think it's much more reasonable to compare drivers within their own era and then it becomes possible to name greatests so what, what do you guys think is it possible mainly with formula one for now but is is it possible to have a greatest of all time uh no 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 not at all not at all i mean uh let's just start with fangio in the 50s i don't think he could even comprehend the downforce that came about in even the 80s you know what i'm saying yeah like i i don't think he would be able to uh understand how to even drive the car right or or you know take take someone like jackie stewart who still walks on the grid today you know i you know i bet he could in his day drive the cars you know but i yeah i don't i don't think you can because it's it's just it's it's too different like you said from decade to decade and then simultaneously if you if you do if you reverse that and take a modern driver and put them in one of Fangio's cars. It it's so massively different and requires such a different level of of, of almost skill set. It, it requires different yeah. mindsets as well. It's not the same sport. Yeah, it, it's completely different each way. So yeah, I think you're right. Just the sheer like as you say, Fangio wouldn't understand, couldn't comprehend what Formula One is now. So it it's almost impossible to know whether he would be as good as he was then is he if he was now i'll go a little bit different from you guys i agree just the sport of talking about formula one specifically it's changed so much in all the decades it's been around but also i'll differ in saying that maybe yes if you have a driver who is blessed with such a long career they're able to span multiple Mm -hmm. eras and find success in all of those eras of the sport and technological innovations and revolutions and stuff i i think you could make an argument, but that's 
also very unlikely to happen, especially in, in modern day Formula One. I think it's possible, but I think the best way to do it if you would be to do it based on each era, like you guys are saying, just yeah, put Fangio in the Williams with active suspension. He's gonna be like, What the heck is going on? <laughs> you know, or in the you know, he'll try to drive the McLaren to the third brake pedal will be like, Oh, there's the clutch. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Fangio died in what, ninety five? Yeah, in the nineties, yeah. So, yeah, so he, yeah, he, he, didn't, he couldn't even begin to to see what was going to happen to Formula One. Like even as I said, even comparing the nineties, like the early nineties to to now, it's so different. Like, I mean, he he saw it a little bit. Yeah, he saw it a little bit. Ayrton Senna died in ninety four, and look mm. at the cars of that era. Yeah, but even right. then, like and they're massive. still so different yeah. from from what we're doing today. And so, I. Speaking specifically on Formula One, I'm guessing I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just lay it out there. We talked about it a bit before the show. I didn't let you know. I said I have a different idea of if specifically Formula One, <clears throat> who should be considered the greatest of all time. And I'm gonna tell you right now, none of them are drivers. Mm. I had a feeling right? you were gonna go this way, and I think I none of them yeah. are drivers, yeah. right? You got to look at guys like Colin Chapman, right? Adrian Newey, Ross Braun, mm. those guys who changed the landscape of the sport purely by a design perspective, because that's what Formula One is. Mm. It's, and I've said this before, I think on this show, the sport is way more than driver versus driver. It is engineer versus engineer. This is the battle of the nerds, right? And in... And, and if you ask any of these guys what their least favorite part about the car is, it's always the driver. The driver is way less inconsistent than the computer models or anything like that. And so, uh, the, you know, the, the most valuable thing on the, on the Formula One grid today is that little notebook that fucking uh, Adrian Newey carries around. You know, none of the, it's none of the drivers. Yeah. Right. Because there's not a single driver today. Or, or even in the past, that changed the landscape of how the sport operates more than, you know, by Colin Chapman yeah. with the Lotus, the ground effects, and the way the skirts would lift up and down depending on how the car was leaning. And, you know, uh, who, who designed the fan car? Or the, the Terrell 6 wheel? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, the, um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like it, I, I don't think it can be a driver if you're talking about greatest of all time of this sport specifically. Yeah, I think I think right. you're absolutely right. Formula One as a whole, we've spoken about it so much, and and one of the main, con you know, the sport has changed so much over the years. But one of the main constants that remains is how completely dependent you are on having the tools to be able to perform. Very mm -hmm. little throughout the years of Formula One has a driver won the championship in a car that wasn't the fastest. I can, I'm struggling, like, Fernando Alonso in 2012 nearly did it, you know, um, I, I would say perhaps, perhaps, I, I don't know, because when Max Verstappen won in 2021, the Mercedes and the Red Bull were, were basically on top of each other for vast periods. I, I can't think of many occasions where the fastest, where the driver won the championship without the fastest car, and even then, it's still going to be a competitive car to be in the conversation. Yeah. So, y you're right, it, it, Formula One has always been 
more about the car than it is the driver. Yeah, the drivers have to be talented, and and you know you have to be amongst the best in the world to be able to get the most out of them. Yep. But you're not. You could put the greatest drivers, the ones that people call the goats, into the worst cars of the years that they won their championships, and they wouldn't have done it. It's simple. Yeah. It just wouldn't have happened. So I think I For think you're know- absolutely right. It's got to be. And, and I, I'm so glad you led with Colin Chapman because he is absolutely the one that yeah. I would pick above all of them. I would pick Colin Chapman because or the, Bruce McLaren yeah. or Dan Gurney. But I, I, I would put Colin above all of them and I'm yeah. biased because I'm from the region. Like, so it, it, yeah. it well close anyway, it's just over the border. Um, you know, the, the, the strides that they took with innovation in formula one in that period in the sixties, you know, it was those moments of, of evolution with aerodynamics, with weight saving, with the car shaping. That was all pioneered from people like Lotus and like Conan Chapman. And those design principles have remained to this day. You know, there, there has been nothing that has been more crucial into how Formula One looks today. You know, it, we said it changes so much, but so much of it can be traced back to what they did in Norfolk and and... Yeah, Colin Chapman. I, I think you're absolutely right, and I would vote Colin. <laughs> wow, I mean uh, that's 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 just my. I mean, so I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, JD. I got one more, one more person that I think crosses the barrier, mm-hmm. and that's Nicky Lauda. Yeah, right, because he understood not only how to drive the car, but how to build it. And, and set it up in such a way to make it fast right so but i mean i i, I still think colin chapman's the one i, I think nicky's right. a good point though because not only did he do that so he was a great driver and as you said he he knew how it all worked he had the technical mindset but then when you look at him post formula one and the roles that he played with at mercedes in in getting lewis hamilton mm-hmm. over you know he he understood the politics of formula one yeah and and you know his his career outside of the car was almost as incredible as his car in his career inside and and that's a level of understanding of of getting every single facet of formula 1 uh, yeah I, in terms of drivers nicky uh, of the ones that span all of it maybe nicky is one of them yeah yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you <laughs> yeah. Go you're ahead. you're all good greg you rocked that question yeah. you totally opened my mind and I know you said Colin Chapman. I'll say Ross Braun hmm. uh, for argument's sake, because yes, Colin Chapman just the pure technological revolution of introducing the different technologies into Formula One. I'll choose Ross Braun for the organizational side of F1, being able to understand what makes a great team and empower the people who have those really inspiring technical skills and letting them go run and make a successful, cohesive team. Like, Ben, he ran Benetton. He organized that team into a championship powerhouse with Michael Schumacher. He went to Ferrari completely. The team's disarray. He insulated all of the people in there, allowed them to explore what they wanted to make and insulated them from any backlash. It's like, hey, if the car breaks on Sunday. It's my fault. Me, Ross Brown's fault. Not Joe Schmo mechanic line number two. It's my fault because I'm responsible for the car. He, he led by example, let his people experiment and make those big tactical steps to make a freaking fast race car. And he understood that better than anyone else. And then he did it again and again and again. Benetton, Ferrari, 
uh, yeah, he went to Honda, but Honda had issues. But then, you know, Braun GP and then Mercedes, the man knows how to make a silky smooth organization to be that can be incredibly competitive in F1. I think he's one of the most championships outside of Adrian Newey in F1, just his teams and his cars. It, it, it's read the book, total competition, everybody. It is really interesting to I'm, see. I'm going to get it how he, how he views it all. It is really freaking good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was going to say be controversial and take an easy pick for a driver, say uh, either Hamilton or Lauda for, for go, if you could, because they both have such long careers and different eras of technical regulations. But yeah, I think you've got to, put, go like, you've got to put Michael I'll, Schumacher I'll in there as well with, with them. But I know, I know his career was divisive because of the decisions he made on the racetrack. But when you when you think about crossing different technical regulations, Schumacher, you know, he went from competing at the top and winning championships in the early 90s, which was one very different era to then doing it yeah. in the 2000s in another very different era. And then you know, the other day I was reading a, a Twitter thread, uh, which I'm rapidly scrolling to try and find who tweeted it because it's really good, um, by uh, <laughs> by someone who's at, is at Kamui is the goat, ironically. And yes, I completely <laughs> agree. Um, but he was talking about Michael Schumacher's 2012 season and how through retirements that weren't his own, if they hadn't happened, he would have been leading the championship after like six or seven rounds. You know, mm. Michael Schumacher trans... Uh, like, uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, transcended the different eras as much as Lewis, as much as, as Nicky, and as much as maybe Ayrton would have done had he been given the chance. So, um, but but to, to go back to your point about driving personnel, I really do think it's it's like we've got like a big three, like the gods of Mortis almost. You know, you've got like <laughs> Colin Chapman, uh, Ross Braun, and then you've got to have Adrian Newey in there because they're that like yeah. Yeah. if you had a a theoretical YouTuber boxing match between Colin Chapman and Adrian Newey with regards to who's the best designer in Formula One, I I don't know who wins that because both have been absolutely incredible you know chapman was perhaps more pioneering with what his concepts led to and, and as i said they're still very much present on the grid today but then you look at how adrian newey has been able to exploit these regulations in in the most political and complicated and 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 fixed era of formula one since like the 90s um you know even even thinking back to you know when he was i can't remember the Leighton House, which I think was his first car that he designed in like the eight, late eighties, it was involved in an airborne crash on lap one at Paul Ricard, and one of the big teams saw the underfloor of that car, thought that was great, put it on their car, and they won a championship a few years later. So Adrian Newey was designing championship-winning cars in his first year. Like yeah. it's just unprecedented yeah, levels of greatness. I, I think again, if you're if you're talking about greatest of all time in the sport of Formula One, I don't think you can't pick a driver. You yeah. can't pick a driver. You can't pick a driver because they they've been the least common denominator in in all of the sport. For all we know, Nikita Mazepin could have been the greatest driver of all time, but he was not Javier Ragunathan. Yeah, Kamui. Right. <laughs> like it, you you can't, <clears throat> and even and even if you take. You know the the big three: Ayrton Senna, uh, Michael Schumacher, and uh, Lewis Hamilton, and put them up against each other. You can't really have that conversation either because you have to look at the people that they're driving against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Ayrton Senna was Prost. You know, 
and and who else? Probably a lot of other guys. I can't I can't th- just off the top of my head think about you know who all was in the 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 era of Cena. But I mean, who has Lewis Hamilton had to fight against? That's been his teammates on par yeah. with with him. His teammates and have Verstappen, and that's it. And 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 you often yep. find that in these eras, the person that they're up against for the rivalry of it is their teammate. So what does that say? It was the car. Yep. So I, I, again, I don't want to say that all of these champions are mean mean nothing because the car is more important. But again, you put in any of these eras, take Senna and Prost. You put them in the Leighton house, that, then we don't remember them. You know, yes, you have these odd moments where a driver is able to work with a car that isn't great. Ayrton Senna in the Tolman in 1984 at Monaco. You know, there were, those were the moments that gave him the opportunity to then get into those good cars. And that's what maybe puts them aside from those other drivers. But as you say, when it comes to comparing all across all eras of Formula One, you can't do it with drivers. It has to be the team members. I think that's you. You absolutely nailed that. So yeah, it's got to be the engineer. So with that in mind, if we move into talking about the greatest of each era, uh, just very briefly, we don't have to look at it. You, you've got to think. You know, we said with the fifties, it's Fangio. You know, you've got people like Ascari in there, but the sheer dominance of Fangio. He, he did it for five multiple championships with multiple yeah, different teams. Five yeah, championships so, with three teams. Yeah. So that that's still something that hasn't been accomplished. Um, as you move into the 60s era with, with, with the Chapman era, <laughs> um, you know, you've got to look at people like uh, Jimmy Clark, or, albeit Graham Hill, Graham Hill um, Jackie Stewart, Jack Brabham, you know, being able to, to, to win a championship for the first time with a car that you made, like, uh, amazing. Yeah. So they're the greatest of that era, but you can't possibly compare them to even Fangio, who was 10 years earlier, because it's so different. 70s, you know, louder. Uh, 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 Andretti and Fittipaldi you know that kind I'd say louder probably Um, and that moves into the early 80s you know when you start getting the big turbo hybrid monsters Uh, not hybrid (laughs) a bit early turbo Um, (laughs) you know then then you've got your Senna and your Prosts Um, I I, I struggle to really put much between the pair of them Um, with, with Senna you've always got the difficulty of knowing that his career would have been a lot more had he been given the opportunity to have more. Um, Mm -hmm. Same with Jimmy Clark. Um, So, you know, but again, you can't compare Senna and Bross era to just 10 years before or 10 years later. It just doesn't work. I think we, we, we eventually, you know, you know, 2000s, it's obviously Schumacher, you know, 2010s, it's obviously Hamilton, but then we've got to get to the point where, and this is why this conversation comes up all the time. Who is the greatest driver on the Formula One grid now? That's a harder question because <laughs> that's what I mean, spawned this whole debate. So we've got to do right. It. It's it's it's. Uh, I I I want to say Lewis Hamilton, right? Because he's got he he's got the numbers, mm. you know. But we, I, I again, I I can't I can't say I can't say because. There, there's got to be somebody on the grid who, given better machinery, could be a fucking powerhouse, mm. right? So much about so, motorsport, and particularly Formula One, is about circumstance. And, you yeah. know, being able to make the most of the opportunities you're given to put yourself in a position where you can then show 
that you're one of the greatest. I've often said, and it, it's it's extrapolated out to the widest possible view, but the most naturally gifted, greatest racing driver there has ever been, we will never see because they will have not ever. been in the circumstance to do karting, let alone Formula One. So, yeah, y- yeah you, you get to a point where, as you said, there are people on this grid that if you put them in the right cars, they would be winning just as much as Max is, be it Fernando, be it Lewis, be it... And anyone, like uh, the vast majority of people on this grid could win given the right car. So it's so circumstantial. Even even comparing this era, you can't quite do it. I think if we're going like the current team whose entire driver lineup has the most raw talent is McLaren. I think both Lando and Piastri are driving out of their minds to bring that McLaren up from the back of the grid. The team's done a great job improving the car. Don't get me wrong, but they have continually maximized everything they can get out of their package for this season to become a competitive threat for a podium in the manufacturer's championship. So as, as I, far as like best driver on the grid right now, I, you, like you guys said, you, you just can't pick. They're all so good. I think if we're just going off raw natural talent, I think it does have to be Max. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I think yeah. he, I, he. I mean, granted, Red Bull is on some fucking different shit than everybody else. But, They're on the AD, Adrian Newey stuff. <laughs> but, but Max, for some reason, has that je ne sais quoi, right? That nobody else has. In uh, and it's not just in Formula One. You can see it. You know, I. I've I, I've I've uploaded his ghosts from from iRacing. I've watched replays of the way he drives there. Right? I mean, he's he's fast everywhere and in everything. So I do think currently on the grid, and it has nothing to do with how many wins he has this season. It strictly has everything to do with watching him drive other things. Right? I mean, when he drove the the fucking Ford van, yeah. He drove the fuck out of and, that. And thing. as you say, it's not necessarily down to just how many wins it is. The, again, coming back to the greatest of all eras of Formula One, the drivers that come up in that conversation are the ones that manage to get all the circumstances right and play all of their cards right and balance all the different plates that are in Formula One and, and get teams around them. You know, Lewis made Mercedes his team. Ayrton eventually made McLaren his team after causing a civil war with Prost. Um, you know, and, and Max is doing that with Red Bull, you know. He's he's taken that team, made it his, defeated everyone they brought in to try and challenge him, and made it now so that the car is so fitting to him that it's a nightmare for whoever's beyond him. And he can only be praised for that. So, yeah, I completely agree. So, you then kind of started heading in a direction as as to where I want this conversation to kind of conclude is whilst it's not possible to talk about a greatest of all time within F1 is it possible to talk about a greatest driver of all time when it comes to all motorsport because yes yeah because the the way I'm framing this is that in my mind considering how different each motorsport series is like you compare IndyCar to Formula One, Formula One to NASCAR, NASCAR to WEC, everything that we talk about in our in the intro to this show, you know, all the different cro- corners of the motorsport globe there are. Everything's so different. And then you look in the series themselves and they're so different still. So because everything's so different, surely the greatest drivers of all of motorsport of all time 
are the drivers that have raced in multiple championships and disciplines and won in every kind or or been competitive at the very least so with that in mind we behind the scenes have been thinking of drivers that we would like to nominate um i i have spent the last week having an aneurysm um i i'll 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 start with mine and then we'll see where you guys go so i i've narrowed it down because <laughs> I was thinking of drivers like Nigel Mansell, you know, in in the modern era, you know, won Formula One, went to IndyCar and won it in the same in the in the same twelve month period. You know, Fernando Alonso, I would say, is the most modern example of a driver who could classify himself into this debate, having won Formula One. Le Mans, been so competitive at Indianapolis, that's ominous. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, John Surtees, going back to him, winning MotoGP and Formula One in a couple of years of each other. You know, that's mad. I, I've narrowed mine down t- to two. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna pick it. I'm going to pick one. And I think I know which one I'm going to pick. So my, my two were Mario Andretti um, because of, you know, he won the 500. He won Formula One. He won Sebring. He won Indianapolis. He, he won everything that there is to win. But the one I'm going to pick, ah, this is still hard, is Jim Clark. Jim Clark, for me, um, again, as I mentioned, you know, he didn't get the opportunity to really show everything he could because he was tragically killed at the age of only 32, you know, right in the prime of his career. You know, he he won the championship in, in 63 and 65 and was killed in 68. You know, he still had so much time left to do, but... I remember back to there was a piece that the Grand Tour did on Jim Clark uh, talking about his 1965 season of, of not just Formula One, but of racing. In one year, he raced 63 times across Formula One, the British and French Formula Two championships, the Tasman series, touring cars in a Lotus Cortina. And then he also won the Indy 500. You know, th- that level of just complete dominance across so many different fields i i think that's what puts him above for me and i i I just wish that we could have seen more of that so we could cement it um so yeah jim clark would be my pick um there has been a face that has been slowly meandering across greg's webcam feed that we can't see right now i have a feeling you're going to pick another british driver (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, there's there's a coveted title in motorsport, right? Called the Triple Crown, and and there's there's a way you can win it in a couple of ways, right? It's it's you win at the Indy Five Hundred, you win the Twenty Four Hours of Le Mans and or Monaco or a Formula One championship. There's only been one person to do it, and he's done it both ways. Mm. Not only has he won Monaco, but he's also won a Formula One championship. And it's Graham Hill. Yeah. Right. And, and he, again, the Indy 500 win. 24 hours of Le Mans win and in an era when it was a fucking i mean it's a grueling race now but back then holy shit 
And he won Monaco and a Formula One title. I think there's only one. Right? Yeah, he, I, I he's the only I, one. I know, I know there's only one. And it's Graham Hill. He's the only one with the coveted triple crown. And he's done it both ways. However you want to say it, you can't say that he hasn't done it because he has. Yeah. And I think you I, th- I think he, he it has to be him right because he's done it across multiple disciplines and all pretty in, in pretty quick succession too uh i mean so if we if we have to talk about the greatest of all time i think it has to be the only one who's won the most coveted title in all of motorsport right potentially that's, that's just, an avenue that's to look at yeah 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 jd who, who, who are you going to uh, go with? See, you're up against Jim Clark and Graham Hill. No pressure. This is this is going to be a whole lot of sacrilege. Um, any complaints, send them to a, at jgrip. I ain't fucking responsible for what you're about to do. <laughs> I don't know what you're about to do, but the fact that you're warning us. Go on. What, who do you reckon? So along the lines of what Greg was saying, a driver who was quick and successful across multiple disciplines, I'm going to say Juan Pablo Montoya. I knew yeah. it. I knew it. I knew it. And you're not wrong. Because (laughs) the the man has been quick and successful and everything. And I'll argue against Graham Hill because the degree of difficulty in the era that Juan Pablo Montoya has been in where everyone's a professional in those specific disciplines rather than you just have a few general drivers and then a lot of amateurs compared in the Graham Hill era. I mean, Juan Pablo Montoya, I'll just run through this, uh, all these facts I found on this racing research site called wikipedia.org so <laughs> he won the international formula 3000 championship which is now f2 he won the cart indycar series in 1999 won the indianapolis 500 twice once in the car era and again in uh, 2014 2015 he won the indycar championship in 2000 wells uh, then he went over to f1 Won seven races, could have been a championship contender with both Williams and McLaren if the cars didn't keep breaking and if the stewards didn't have it out for him because he's Juan Pablo freaking Montoya. Like he's he battled Schumacher and Kimi Räikkönen at their peaks in F1, and it, the only reason why he wasn't isn't considered more of a championship threat is because they kept breaking. But he was bad fast. He held the lap record at Monza in a Williams for almost twenty years until they cheated and made all the cars faster and in the most recent regulations. Then he, after that, <laughs> after F1, he goes to NASCAR, the complete opposite to these high downforce, high power cars, wins a couple road course races in there, almost won a couple oval races, just had bad luck. And then people only remember him for the jet dryer incident at Daytona. The car broke. That's why he hit it. He didn't drive into it on purpose. People suck with that. <laughs> then after he's done in NASCAR, he goes Back to IndyCar, wins the Indy 500, championship competitor, goes to IMSA. He's he's won the Daytona 24-hour like five times in multiple eras. He won in the old Daytona prototypes. He's won in the DPI era. He won the 2019 IMSA championship. And now he races LMP2 cars with his son trying to win Le Mans in that class. And, and to the your man point, is still rapid. This is a- he's so competitive. He has beaten everybody there is to be in this modern era of racing in everything he is lights out 
I love this. And to your point, it's the longevity as well. This is a guy who was coming up in the 90s, and just two weeks ago, he was passing people around the outside of Lake Common in LMP2. Like, he's still that guy. And I I think you say it's sacrilege, but you've got a very good point, because another thing that, that makes it harder to do in this era is exactly that. It's more professional. Not just the comp- not, just, not just the competitiveness of the series. fields, yeah. but also contracts. You've got all these drivers who want to race in other things, but contractually, half of them can't. It's what made Fernando yeah. Alonso's decision to go and do the Indy 500 in 2017 so ludicrous. Because you know, how did he manage to get that agreed to? How did McLaren agree to that? To navigate, yeah, to, you're going to skip Monaco. Yeah, to navigate <laughs> all of these Indy things to get yourself in a position where you can race in all these different championships is almost as hard as doing it. So the fact that Juan Pablo Montoya in this modern era with all of these obstacles has been able to put up a a career that's even slightly comparable to the likes of Jim Clark and Graham Hill who are are always regarded as the greatest of motorsport in history. Juan Pablo Montoya isn't isn't a sacrilege pick. It's a pick that no 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 one makes but should. And I think you're absolutely correct. Are, are they better? Again, I really think it's hard to compare all the three people that we've picked. But in terms of, I, I think just doing it in the modern era is is testament enough to Juan Pablo. He he won in like the thousand horsepower kart cars. He beat Michael Andretti in the Michigan 500. Go watch that last mm. couple laps on YouTube. It is scintillating. Amazing. And he hadn't driven ovals like a year before that time. He is just naturally fast at everything goes he he beat michael andretti beat scott dixon beat joseph newgarden beat tony Kanan, beat jimmy johnson beat fernando alonso michael schumacher kimmy raikkonen he, he i don't think he raced uh no he got out of f1 before he raced lewis but he is not beating slouches he is beating incredibly guys that talented are in, people in contention for the goat yeah right yeah. like guys that are in that conversation so I, th- you know, I think you're right. I, I, I agree. I agree. I agree. Like he 100%. hasn't won Le Mans, so he doesn't have that triple crown. He won Monaco, and he's won Daytona 24. He's the closest. He's won Indy 500. Other than Alonso, he is the closest person to winning a triple. I'm crown. sure he he's won Le Mans in a different class, hasn't he? He, I just pulled it up. He didn't win in the LMP2 class. He was in contention, but they didn't win. But then, yeah, that's the another thing. The annoying thing about the triple crown is that it only counts if you win overall. It doesn't count if it's a class right. win. Um, which I get, you know, it, it would be easier to win it in GT than it would be in GTP or something. I don't know. So are you sure? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, are you, I mean, but LMP two, that's a yeah. tough fucking yeah, class. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it, the argument could go either way there, but either way, you're absolutely right for picking one Pablo Montoya. I think we've been doing a lot of polls on Twitter at into the paddock with the number two. I'm going to put up a poll that will go up, I think, the day after this episode comes out. And, and I will put in who's the greatest of all time out of these drivers, each of our picks. And then if, if, anyone, if anyone wants to submit someone we haven't thought of or mentioned, let us know in the comments on that, reply, on, on that tweet. Yeah, it's, it's a mad debate to have. And the fact that each of us, have picked, you know, me and Greg picked people from a similar era in Jim Clark and Graham Hill. And JD comes in with a fucking pick of one Pablo Montoya and it makes a whole lot of fucking sense. It, yeah. It's a great debate to have. You know, we could spend an entire show, like not just a half, we could do an entire show talking about this. Um, 
but sadly we're almost at the end is, is there any any other closing remarks to this debate we want to make um I, i'm almost team um, jpm my, at this my, point <laughs> my my final remark is i think if we're talking about just who has been the greatest of all time in motorsport and that's not including drivers but just somebody who's changed the landscape of the way things work i think it has to be colin chapman mm. Yeah, I think he has contributed the most to overall. Only uh, while he's only been in Formula One, right? Am I? Or I, he he's, did some he's designed some other designing. stuff. Um, Indy, Indy yeah, yeah. wasn't. Yeah, IndyCar was tricky. They they didn't really let him in, but but yeah. But I think if you're if you're if you're talking about the person who changed the landscape of the sport more than anybody else, and had and everybody else was pretty much just playing catch up. I think it has to be Colin Chapman or Adrian Newey. I think it's a tie for the two guys. So, but that's that's my two cents. I, I'll agree. The technical side of racing, definitely those two guys for sure. Just the technical advancements they made in aerodynamics and composites in racing that every racing series from F1 to go-kart uses now is in some way influenced by those guys. But I'll, I'll go back to mine saying organizational standpoint, how you let people be creative and have that freedom. Ross Braun, every race team is basically modeled off of what he's been able to build in all the different teams and eras he's been involved with in racing from F1 to sports cars. He had a huge, huge impact that people don't, don't recognize. And racing's a business. He mastered that side of it. There you go. It, it, it is. And JPM's a go. Yeah, he is. Um, or Kamui, as that one person on Twitter said. Um, yeah, that, that it, it's a conversation that could last hours and hours, but sadly, that's where we have to end on today's episode of the Into the Paddock podcast. As I said, head over to our Twitter account uh, to vote on that poll and let us know who you should be considered, who you think should be considered for not the greatest of Formula One, because that's that's as we said, kind of impossible if it isn't Colin Chapman or Adrian Newey. I might even do a poll for amongst Braun. <laughs> Newey and um, Chapman it, it, it's that close but yeah let, let us know who you think should be so vote on our polls uh, follow us at all our various social media channels at Into the Paddock that's the number two on Twitter Instagram and threads head over to the into, into the apex.com to check out our affiliated podcasts um, on the Into the Apex podcast network you can also follow us at our own social media channels I am at jgroves1996 on Twitter Instagram and threads um, Greg where can we find you? Uh, speed rat racing on everything except for threads and TikTok. So yeah, hit me up YouTube, Twitch, Instagram. I'm on Instagram more than anything mm. else, I think. Uh, so yeah, look for cool pictures of me, uh, sim racing and doing IMSA stuff. And JD, where can we find you? I'm on YouTube at JD 55 sim racing, where I post highlights from my, uh, sim racing escapades, uh, preparing for, uh, a little race or two this upcoming weekend so that'll be fun and uh also uh on twitter slash x at pedantics world with one r there you go that about does it for this week's episode of the into the paddock podcast join us next week where we will have f1 in qatar great uh nascar at the roval and whilst we don't talk about supercars that often we will be talking about the bathurst 1000 which is this weekend so join us next week for all that and more until then Take care and goodbye.
Thank you for listening to Into the Paddock by the ITA Podcast Network. Join us next time for more provocative motorsport talk. Thank <laughs> you.